0: Well, today we're in week two of our Ghost Town series talking about the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. And while the normal experience of the Holy Spirit at work in a Jesus follower or a church is to focus exclusively on a singular aspect of how the Spirit works in and through us, we said last week that if we want the fullness of a Spirit-led life, we can't limit the work of the Holy Spirit to what we're comfortable or familiar with. We have to let Him do His work and do His thing and have His Now, today we're here on site in White Oaks, New Mexico, just a few miles north of Carrizozo, and if you don't know where that is, well, that's okay. Uh, We're 40 miles west and north of Riodoso, we're 70 miles north of Alamogordo, and we're pretty far from everything else. But while it's incredibly remote today, White Oaks was once described as the liveliest little town in the territory. White Oaks had long been Apache hunting ground until Onyate's expedition led them through the area in the late 1500s. They called the area Malpay, which meant bad land. But in 1979, a man named John Wilson, an escapee from a Texas prison, found gold in the Hicarilla Mountains. He shared the news with two friends, Jack Winters and Harry Baxter. Ironically, after sharing the news of the gold, John Wilson claimed he had no interest in gold and left the find in the hands of Winters and Baxter as he moved on to what he believed would be bigger and better things. Within a year, the town and area was booming as people fled to Baxter Mountain searching for gold. Baxter and Winters each built large claims and mines called the Homestake and the South Homestake Mines, which they eventually sold for $300,000 each. The most successful mine, the Old Abe Mine, yielded 45 to 50 tons of gold ore daily. All told, the miners yielded $20 million worth of gold and other minerals, a value at the time that would really make your head spin. The town was booming. It quickly went from unpopulated to having a population of over 4,000 people in only 20 years. At its peak, it supported over 50 local businesses, including a post office, four newspapers, two hotels, three churches, a sawmill, a bank, an opera house, livery stables, and a number of the ever-present saloons and gambling houses. It quickly became known as the cultural hub of the Southern New Mexico territory with its business and cultural rivaled only by Santa Fe. But unlike Santa Fe's Spanish adobe style architecture, White Oaks was known for its Victorian style brick architecture with many of those homes and buildings still standing today. Instead of the flat roofs, White Oaks was known for its pitched roofs. It was a place full of life, and strong characters. The governor of New Mexico territory during its transition to statehood was from White Oaks and is actually buried here to this day. Billy the Kid himself, along with his rough gang, was known to hang around White Oaks when they weren't in their home of Lincoln. Eventually, this is crazy, Billy the Kid was banned from entering White Oaks, so he sent some of his men into White Oaks to shoot the sheriff just for fun. After his eventual arrest, Pat Garrett, the sheriff of Lincoln County, was in White Oaks to buy lumber for Billy the Kid's hanging on the day that Billy the Kid escaped from Lincoln's prison. White Oaks was also home to a famous madam, Madam Varnish, who was known for being as slick as Varnish. In addition to her other business, she owned the largest gambling house in White Oaks and was known to deal slick when it came to cards, and stories tell that most of the gold that the miners took out of the mountains ended up in her pockets. And finally, it was home to Susan McSween Barber, who after a series of deaths and divorces, ended up as the cattle queen of New Mexico. Now, for all its prosperity and culture and character, white oaks began to struggle as gold began to run out in the mountains. But its ultimate demise was when the town's leaders got selfish as the railroads were being built. They thought, they thought that their city was so important that the railroads couldn't pass them by. And in negotiations, they demanded extraordinarily high right-of-way fees. Instead, the AT&SF and the El Paso Northwest Railroads decided to bypass the town. Ultimately, their selfishness got in the way of building something truly great. And that leads to something that I have seen at play big time in the body of Christ when it comes to the role of the Holy Spirit as the giver of spiritual gifts. Now, if you're wondering what it means that the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, here's what it means. All of us have some natural gifts, and we understand what that means. Some of us, we have the gift of height. Some of you have the physical gift of speed. I'm jealous of you. Some of you are faster readers than other people. Some of you can really sing or play an instrument. Some of you have great ability for building things and understanding how things come together. Some of you can really bake, and we appreciate you so much. Those are physical gifts. And it might be genetics. It might be something that you were taught from a young age. It might be something that you worked hard to develop, but it's something in the physical realm for which you have a high level ability. A spiritual gift is kind of like that, except it's in the spiritual side of things. And if you're wondering what that includes, we'll read a few lists in a little bit. And while a lot of times when it comes to physical gifts, you kind of know where it came from or or how it developed, when it comes to our spiritual gifts, you may have no real explanation of where it came from, except that the gifts have one source, the Holy Spirit. He decides the gifts, He gives the gifts, He stirs up the gifts in us, and if we're paying attention and allowing Him to, He helps as we develop our spiritual gifts. But, But here's the problem that I've seen, and you've probably seen as well if you've been around church long enough. Us people really have a tendency to think that our spiritual gift, our spiritual gifts are all about us. We think our gifts are for our benefit, or we think our gifts are given to us because we're so good. Or we think, well, I have a pretty awesome spiritual gift. That makes me an elite Christian, and I don't have to listen to or be coached by or submit to the leadership of anyone or any. Let me give you a few examples. I've seen people who had the gift of speaking in tongues who had no concept of the idea that there is a time and place in the body of Christ. For them, it was ultimately more about their goosebumps than about effectiveness in the body of Christ. I've seen people who had the gift of encouragement, and it was a wonderful gift, and they were really strong in that area, but they didn't know how to sit with people who were grieving they just knew their gift, and they wanted to use it so badly. And so they brought damage by trying to use their gift in a time and place that their gift wasn't what was needed. I've, I've also seen people who believe themselves to have a prophetic gift, and who they believed that since they were a prophet, they could never be wrong, and they didn't need anyone's correction in their life and leadership, because after all, God spoke to, speaks to them. And if God wanted to say something to them, He'd say it directly to them. And conversely, I've seen people who were tremendously gifted, but they wanted a gift that someone else had, and they didn't. And since they didn't have the gifts that they wanted, what they did is they sat in pity and they cried about not having any gifts, and they neglected the gifts that God had actually given them. The problem is, we can all get pretty easily self-centered and selfish when it comes to our spiritual gifts, thinking they're for us and because of us and ultimately about us. But just like what happened here in White Oaks, if selfishness and self-centeredness take hold, everyone loses, and we can become as spiritually dead as a ghost town. See, Oswald Sanders, he wrote this. He said, Pride takes many forms, but spiritual pride is the most grievous. To become proud of spiritual gifts or leadership position is to forget that all we have is from God. All the position we occupy is God's, appointment here's what oswald sanders ultimately understood selfishness and self-centeredness have no place when it comes to the gifts of the holy spirit see when i when i say that here's two things that we have to understand your gift is given to you but it's not given for you god gives you and i spiritual gifts but the gifts are not for our benefit they're always for the benefit of the people Around us. If if I have the gift of encouraging and I go around using it in times and places where it doesn't actually help anyone, but it actually makes people feel like they're not heard or understood, I've used my gift, but my gift hasn't been used for its purpose because the gift ultimately was never for me, it's for others. It's for the benefit of someone else. It's to build someone else. It's to inspire someone else. It's to bring healing and wholeness to someone else. It's to help someone else know that God is with them, sees them, and has a plan for them. See, the gift is given to you so that you can use your gift for the good of someone else. Aaron Nyquist said it this way: God has given a spiritual gift to the church in you, and you dare not keep it to yourself and here's the other thing I think is really 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 important to remember the gift it involves you but it's not about you it involves you but it's not about you God has given you a gift not so you can point others to you but so that you can point others to him God doesn't give a gift of teaching so people can look at you and go wow what a great teacher the gift is given to you so that through you, people can go, wow, what a great God. If you have a gift of healing, we don't heal heal so people can go, wow, that lady healed me. We serve and operate in a way to, to help people say, wow, God healed me. Our gift isn't given so people can be drawn to us, but so that people can be drawn and pointed to God. In other words, we aren't given a gift so we can step on a pedestal. We're given a gift so that we can effectively serve and humble ourselves and point people to Jesus. Charles Stanley said it this way, As God's children, we are not to be observers. We're to participate actively in the Lord's work. Spectators sit and watch, but we are called to use our spiritual gifts and to serve continually. So, what are the spiritual gifts all about? What are the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the Bible? I'm glad glad you asked. There's a couple of passages in the New Testament written by Paul that give us lists, and, and they're long passages, but I think it's important to give you the whole thing. Here's the first one from Romans, chapter 12. Paul said, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, he said, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He said, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. And now, here's the next list that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, there are different gifts but the same spirit. There are different ministries but the same Lord. And there are different activities but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the performing of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, and to another, interpretation of tongues. He said, one and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. Then he said this, he said, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. He said, so you should desire earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. And here's one more list that Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, he said, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Now, I mentioned last week that when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, churches tend to get pretty divided. And one area that churches get divided is between these lists. Some choose to embrace the Romans list as the ministry gifts and say that these are the most valuable while diminishing the importance of 1 Corinthians. Other churches choose to value the first Corinthians list, the manifestation gifts above the Romans list, and still others say that the real and most important gifts in the church are the Ephesians list, the roles of leadership in the church, that they're more important than the rest. So here's a great question. In our church, in our church, in movement church, which spiritual gifts are most important? Yes. Which list matters most? Yes. Yes. Which gifts does God love to use in the lives of people following him? Yes. No list is more important than the other, just as no gift is better than another. And in case you need it, here's the entire list of spiritual gifts. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, generosity, leadership, compassion, words of wisdom and knowledge, faith, healing, performing miracles, prophecy, discernment, Tongues and interpretation, apostolic leadership, pastoring, and evangelism. Now that's a pretty incredible list. And here's what I want to make sure that we understand. There is an incredible diversity of gifts, and the church needs every single one to be what we're called to be and to do what we are called to do. See, every gift is valuable and every gift is necessary in the church, the body of Christ. And I love that Paul continues to use that analogy of the body of Christ over and over again in relation to spiritual gifts because in the body, every finger matters, every toe matters, every elbow matters, the knees matter, the neck matters, the ear matters, the nose matters, the eyes matter, and the skin matters, and your inner organs matter, and the toenails matter, and the chin matters, and the teeth matter. And while you could possibly lose something and survive, the body would not be as it was originally intended to be with a missing part. And likewise, In the body of Christ, it's possible for a church to survive without some spiritual gift, but for the church to be what it's called to be and for us to do everything that we're called to do, we need all of them. We need men and women who understand their gifting from the Holy Spirit as well as their natural gifting and then decide to use every bit of gifting that they have to benefit others and to build the church. Now, I I wish we had the time to unpack what each of those gifts are and what they look like when they're used, but we don't have hours and hours to do that. And if if I'm being honest, there are some that I don't know that I understand well enough to teach on. But here's something I know that we can all do. We can all discover and become aware of our gifting. So in the chat along with this video, our online hosts are gonna be posting a spiritual gifts test PDF that you can download to your phone, your tablet, or your computer, and you can discover and identify your spiritual gifts. Now, that might sound like a small thing, but if you're not aware of your spiritual gift or gifts, that's a big step. See, once you identify the gifts or gifts, you can study and learn about them. But even more important, once you're aware of your spiritual gifts, you can start to really lean into them and use them and grow them and develop them. As John Maxwell wrote, when you find your spiritual gift, God always gives you an opportunity to use it And I just want to say, I would love to pastor a church full of people who are becoming more and more aware of how God has gifted and shaped us for life and for ministry. And here's why. In each letter that Paul wrote, where he included a list of spiritual gifts, Paul jumped immediately from giving his list of spiritual gifts to talking about love. In 1 Corinthians, Paul immediately jumped to this. He said, If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Then in Romans chapter 12, after what he wrote about spiritual gifts there, Paul immediately Jump to this, starting in verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And finally, if you didn't believe me yet, in Ephesians chapter 4, here's what Paul writes immediately after talking about spiritual gifts. He said, Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of, you might have guessed it by now, love. See, I mentioned earlier that there was some considerable construction and some really amazingly built houses here in White Oaks in in its heyday. One of them was built by a man named Wade Hoyle, who owned one of the largest mines in the area. Hoyle spent a small fortune, over $50,000 in the 1880s, which translates to over $1.5 million today, on the construction of a home as a gift to his intended fiancé. The problem was that his fiancé did not love him and never had intentions of marrying him or moving to White Oaks. Upon her arrival in White Oaks and upon seeing the mansion that Hoyle had built for her, she immediately told him that she did not love him, had no intention of marrying him, and would not be moving to White Oaks, New Mexico. So she broke the engagement. Hoyle, as you could imagine, was devastated and heartbroken. And he lived in this empty mansion for years until his depression caused him to sell everything that he owned in White Oaks and move to Denver. Here's what happened. Wade Hoyle had convinced himself that if he could build enough wealth and buy enough gifts, he could win over the heart of his intended. He had fooled himself, and his house to this day has since been known as Hoyle's Folly. Here's why I bring that all up in the light of this discussion about spiritual gifts the goal of the gift is always to move us toward loving action. What Paul was trying to make sure that we understand for as long as the church could possibly exist is this. If we have the gifts, but we don't have love, we may be fooling ourselves, but we are not convincing the world around us of anything good. And if we understand our gifts in great detail, but we're not willing to match that understanding and giftedness with using our gifts in love, we are just as foolish as a man building a house for a woman who did not love him. See, if, if I could right now, with everything that's happened to our world in the last three months, and with everything that's happened to, in our country in the last week and a half, may I just suggest something? May I just suggest that we need to be men and women from every race and every background, joining our hands together, bringing our gifts together, and offering our love together. Because that's the only way forward. I said a few months back that a scared world will always need a bold church, If I could amend that to right now, I would say this. A broken and hurting world needs a gifted and loving church. Because that's the only hope that we have to bring about the healing and justice that our world needs. Because that's the only hope that we really have to show the power and love and grace of God to a world that so desperately needs all of that right now. So, let's figure out our gifts. All of them. Figure out your gift, discover your gift, discover every gift that God has for you and embrace them with everything we've got. And then let's use them to the best of our ability and with every ounce and every last drop of love that we have so that we can be the church that God called us and is still calling us to be, to change the world, to reach the world with God's love and to continually point to God's power to change a life forever.